Hello, this is the Atlanta Storytellers Podcast. My name is John Carr. There are so many great literary shows, poetry shows, and storytelling shows here in Atlanta. So many amazing artists producing incredible work that lives and sometimes dies at these performances. This podcast is designed to capture that work and share it with the rest of the world. And so, here are some of those stories. Hi, I'm Teresa Davis. Um, I do a lot of things around town, so you should find me on the Instagrams and the Books of Faces. Um, and um, this, is a, this is a piece that I did um, for the first time at an open mic that used to happen over by the goat farm uh, called Naked City. Um, it's a long time ago. I write because sometimes this shit don't make sense. And when I say shit, I could mean life. I could mean this world or the people in it. I could mean this real time that feels like chokeholds and no accountability, like acquittals and coffins. Like we are, at all, we are all at a dance party and no one knows the moves, but we keep moving, keep dancing to the contradictions because to stop means to be consumed by all this madness. I write because if I don't, the world might shift Shrug me off like a fly, a leaf, a dangling participle on the wrong side of a noose. I write because America has a short-ass memories, alters events so it looks better in the light. The way it thinks it has always been here, believes it never took a land, took a people, erected internment camps for its own citizens, took an idea and twisted it to the tune of white supremacy and oppression. And when America is reminded of this... It demands reparations from the displaced, from the erased, from the forgotten, and I refuse to pay the price that comes with holding my tongue. I write because affluenza is a thing. I write because love hurts always, even when it's good, especially when it's bad. Writing keeps the fissures in my heart from feeling concrete. I write to maintain my soft, to stall myself before I turn mason, start building walls that will prevent new love from finding me safe haven. I write because I never want to lose sight of love. I write because some folk feel the need to offer unsolicited advice, then get confused when I turn Chernobyl on them like they should get a pass. Didn't work for that one guy, the one at the Peace Festival last weekend, who approached me after I shared a poem about a girl I loved. I never told her because fear, because gun shy, thought if she listened, she would know. I'll never know if she did because she is dead. Now, when I share those words, it is like a declaration of love wrapped in a funeral, and I grieve every time the way I choose to grieve, sometimes with a smoke and a whiskey. Then he yells, you need to stop doing that. Those things will kill you, says it like an order. And I nuclear meltdown because I did not ask for his intrusion. I am grieving over here, my brain screams. So I reply, you know what else will kill you? Coming back from the jazz festival and an 18-wheeler takes out of the side of the car you are riding in or living in a country where men think they can tell women what the fuck to do and there is his retreating back. I might have raised my voice. And if my hands were not full of the tools used to dull my grief, I might have written a response that did not disturb the peace at the peace festival. But these days, I find the idea of peace disturbing. I write to resist the urge to punch the world in the face. I write to stay human, to stay grounded, to stay open, to never lose the love I have for humanity, to remember the joy, the loss, and everything in between. I write because I almost told my kids a lie. 
From the time I stopped being home, promoted to the roommate, paying all the bills, I instilled in my children daily. Live life to the fullest. Pursue your dreams. Don't let anyone use the word can to define your possibility, only to wake one day. Find myself hobbled by comfort, preaching but not practicing a damn thing, pushing legacy while I pushed myself to watch, not act. I write because I refuse to be a liar in my children's eyes. I write because 2016 snatched all the stars out the sky. I write because I am still reeling. I know had it not been for the brilliance of Prince and Bowie, I would not know how to be this uniquely me, this fly. I am troubled. There is a generation of folk coming up who will not experience this freedom music unless someone tells them. I write because in 2017, billionaires are flying high, inciting conflict, hoping for corpses. I write because I cannot sing. But if I could, I would. But I can't. So I write. This is Nate Mask. Uh, this poem is titled Diamonds and Dog Shit. Uh, it's been performed at um, Mad Minute Poets and several other places as well. They locked eyes. He leaned forward, lifted one leg ever so slightly, and unleashed a powerful stream of urine directly onto the luscious green grass of her front yard because my dog is a fucking gangster like that. Get your dog off the grass, please, snapped the terse, white-haired woman whose lawn Cassius had just finished irrigating, adding please to the end of her bitter sentence like that somehow made it more polite when we both knew good and damn well she was not being polite, and I was like, bitch, it's grass. Wait, what I actually said out loud was, okay, sorry, but in my head, I was like, bitch, it's grass. And I know, I know I shouldn't say bitch. Even though I didn't mean bitch as an interchangeable word for woman or say it because she was a woman or to demean her humanity in any way, but the use of the word does perpetuate a culture of misogyny that is damaging to not just women, but our society as a whole. And I get that. I really do. But sometimes the voice in my head says things that are kind of problematic. And I'm not going to act all holier than thou, like just because I'm a poet, I don't be thinking some fucked up shit sometimes. Because in all honesty, I be thinking some fucked up shit sometimes. And the real point I'm trying to make here is, bitch, it's grass. Who gives a fuck if my dog takes a piss on it? It's like the most resilient plant in the world. The world, Craig. It's the thing that grows in any available space in nature with animals walking through it, living in it, eating it shitting and pissing in it, and it still grows. But for some reason, when it's in front of our house, it becomes sacred ground now. We care more about our lawns than we do our neighbors, and if that isn't an indictment of the world we live in, I don't know what is. We treat our grass like we treat our kids, pumping them full of chemicals so they appear healthy to passers-by, but paying no mind to the damage being manufactured on the inside, and maybe, maybe that's what makes it so easy to evict low-income families from their homes to build high-end lofts for entitled suburbanite transplants, because who gives a fuck what happens to the people you kick out of the neighborhood as long as you've got curb appeal now? As long as you get a Whole Foods or a Target or a Starbucks or any other chain that is in damn near every shopping center in America. In America, we treat symptoms instead of causes. 
like putting spikes down on the sidewalk so homeless people won't sleep there, but doing nothing to prevent people from becoming homeless. Or putting Pont City Market in an abandoned building to help boost the economy, but not raising the minimum fucking wage or tearing down, rebuilding, and rebranding Murder Kroger as Beltline Kroger like people still didn't get killed there, or clamoring to buy more guns and attempt to counteract gun violence. It's the American way. We are demolishing our own house one wall at a time from the inside out, watching as everything crumbles around us, but it's okay as long as no one notices because at least our fucking grass looks nice. My name is Olive Lynch, and um, I'm going to read a piece that I wrote for the show Right Club um, in Atlanta. Let's talk about solipsism. At one point, I was a fan. First, it's fun to say, and it is even more fun to harass your underpaid adjunct professor with. Uh, but how can we prove anything, man? For all we know, we're all just a hologram, so who can say if I did or did not complete the assignment? Changed my grade. So, the brain in the jar thought experiment, as any philosophy major can explain to you, usually we're all charging 64 and 8th, is that basically what if you're in the matrix, but there's no karate or Keanu? How could you prove anything besides yourself is real? It's fun. But no one can really prove anything is now the official White House email signature, and it's less fun. News is fake. Truth is subjective, and I'm just wondering what that brain in the jar is doing now, sitting on a shelf somewhere in a room we stick all our transubstantiated hypotheticals in, hanging out with Schrodinger's cat and the knight in the nave, the unstoppable cannonball and the immovable post. Did you know they put poison in that box? Schrodinger's cat furiously hisses. Who does that to a little kitty? People are nutso, says the brain. We're going to call her Brienne because, I mean, come on. Apparently, says the cat, extending a leg to clean its hypothetical asshole. You see that article about MRAs and the alt-right opening a Pizzagate-themed restaurant? You know I haven't, said Brienne. Also, what is an MRA? What, have you been living under a rock? Brienne would have rolled her eyes if she still had lids. At that moment, the devil's advocate runs up panting. Now, hold on. First of all, according to Discovery, MRAs should be referred to as men's rights activists, and we should hear them out. As stated in this affidavit, a member who identifies by the Reddit username Dabals says they're fighting for, um, fucking, uh, so, la ladies, there's... There's fuck there's pussy and it is on a pedestal which it shouldn't be up there. It is too high. It should be on my dick, which is not a pedestal. It is much smaller. I did not mean to say that. <clears throat> the devil's advocate shuffles through his notes. Um yeah, then it just trails off into a bunch of cartoon frogs, he mutters. First of all, says the cat, pussy should absolutely be on a pedestal. It's beautiful and it creates life, like the holy grail or the sorcerer's stone. Uh, so speaking of, uh, I'm writing this on International Women's Day, and I see all these tender Facebook posts by well-intentioned men about their exceptional mothers and daughters and sisters, and I feel sad because I'm not exceptional, <laughs> and I'm no one's mother, and even if I was, as these sons and husbands lift up their loved ones, all I see is the distance the height creates. It's like, my mother taught me that women can be strong and beautiful and brave 
and amazing cooks and fierce and loyal and run her own business all while being a literal tidal wave of love and affection to me and my seven brothers. And are you really describing Mrs. Stevenson? Because this sounds more like the Egyptian goddess of light. And I get it, hyperbole isn't a crime. You say these things because you love your mom. But Lioriel and Yoplait and Gwyneth Paltrow are saying it because they want my money and maybe my soul. And it just feels like another pedestal. And, you know, maybe I want to be on that damn pedestal to climb to the top and be worshipped by a bearded man who soliloquizes my mystical otherness and buys me a house and gives up on understanding my ways because femininity is mysterious and inscrutable like the ocean or moon or magnets. But those alabaster columns are slick and tall and cold, and I keep falling on my ass that no matter how much weight I gain or lose will always be ridiculous and covered in cellulite, which is just another word for failure. And even if I could get up there, even if I fashion tools to overcome myself, I leave my stomach in the gym or in front of the toilet, but it's okay because it's not really bulimia if you don't use your finger and just focus on the terror of creating more of yourself until you throw up naturally. I leave my anger in self-help books and meditation apps and bury my desire for children deep in a labyrinth of compartmentalization because cool girls don't want kids and only cool girls find boyfriends who will marry them and give them kids and why can't you just be fucking chill about it? And I cut and I burn and I bury until I'm finally light enough to float above that pale white square. But what's left of me? I keep thinking of my mom and the accident that took her first daughter and so many other things. But it made room for my father and then me. When we were young, she sat us down and said she was going to leave him. And we screamed at her and cried, how could she do this to us? So she stayed. And she doesn't mind. She's happy. She loves us. He really is a good father. And nothing else really matters. And I watched as she removed the parts of herself that made staying harder. And now she keeps her paintings in an attic and her first child's pictures in a box and lives quietly. So will I be like my mother? Will I be like Brienne, the brain from earlier, safe and lonely and silent, cutting and pruning and burying the garden of myself and repeating this mantra that it's all what I want? Because it is. No one has a gun to my head telling me to diminish or else. The call is coming from inside the house. What I am and what I want are mutually exclusive, or at least that's what I keep hearing. That taunting truth vibrates inside me, like a subwoofer blasting from the Earth's core. And if you say you can't hear it, I don't believe you. But isn't that what all crazy people say? I know these aren't groundbreaking observations. I've read A Room of One's Own, and Audre Lorde, and Jezebel. But how much longer till this river is dammed will it ever be? I don't have the luxury of waiting for construction permits. I'm betrayed by my biology and time, and those co-conspirators fuck everything up, so I'll either stop or keep cutting until I'm on that shelf with Brienne and my mother and all the other women who've given everything they could until all that's left is quietly existing. But hey, if it works, it doesn't matter. I don't mind. So we're back with Schrodinger's cat, and it's spitting and cursing at the devil's advocate, and the DA finally scuttles away, but the smell of his singed pinstripe suit remains. I don't understand why Luce doesn't represent himself. At least he's charming, you know? Yeah, says Brienne. But he loved the Keanu in that movie. And you know the devil loves a good callback joke. Oh, speaking of Keanu, you know the stupidest thing about men's rights activists? These human trash cans always talk about how you should take the red pill, like from The Matrix. A movie written by two transgender women. Yeah, well, says Brienne, people are not so. 
There are so many shows with pieces just like the ones you've heard being produced all over Atlanta. Take some time, go see a show, and experience one of these pieces live.